Good afternoon and welcome to the inaugural edition of the American Age Podcast. My name is C. Travis Webb and I'm speaking with Seth Rodney. And today we're going to be talking about unlucky days or um, we're going to situate that first uh, with a brief uh, discussion kind of putting us in the place of Mesoamerican uh, calendrical systems, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. So to begin with, I'd like to read from uh, The Flayed God, uh, which is a book by Roberta and Peter Markman. Um, and uh, in this section, they're talking uh, briefly about uh, the Mesoamerican calendar, which is pretty famously uh, the circular calendar, right? I mean, if anyone's been to uh, the uh, National Museum in Mexico, or uh, there are plenty of other museums that have examples as well. These uh, really involved um, kind of Baroque calendars with all these various uh, iconography on it. Um, this circular uh, calendrical system had a couple of different uh, manifestations, and we're going to talk about one of them right now. Uh, while the daily cycle of the sun provided one view of this order, the annual cycle of the sun observed through the movement on the horizon of its rising and setting points, led them, and by them they mean the Mesoamericans, to an understanding of a different sort of order, the order embodied in the cycle of the solar year, with its repeating pattern of the seasons, an order mysteriously involved with the provision of their sustenance. And by they, they're talking about crops here, so, you know, like crops grow in certain seasons, and that comes back around over and over again. From this cycle, they derived one of the two fundamental calendars in use throughout Mesoamerica from the times of the earliest civilizations. That was the solar calendar of 360 days divided into 18 months of 20 days and five unlucky days added to, a complete, uh, added to complete a 365-day cycle, a calendar called the Xihuitl in central Mexico and the Hob by the Maya. And then it goes on to, do, to attest the calendar in, in various other uh, Mesoamerican civilizations. This idea of unlucky days was first introduced to me by a professor many years ago. Um, and uh, he talked about, so in these unlucky days, uh, um, it was, people were like, wouldn't shower and they would uh, avoid, right? You know, <laughs> probably not the time to go visit your neighbors, but, uh, the, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't trim their nails. Mm. It, was, it was considered a very inauspicious time to begin something. Um, and, uh, the professor pointed out that, um, you know, one of the things that he, uh, he liked to do in that seminar was sort of take down, uh, take down the idea of Western progress, a peg or two. Now, not to say that there isn't Western progress, that wasn't his shtick, but simply that there are more, um, there are more remainders from our past in the current world than we at first take, uh, that are at first blush apparent to us. Mm -hmm. And these unlucky days was one of these examples. And he, and he brought that up. He mentioned the, the parallel between, um, the days after Christmas and the new year. Mm -hmm. Um, and that not that the days were unlucky, but that they're in this kind of weird limbo, right? So you, you, you're not really, like, maybe you have to go to work still, but it doesn't really feel, everything's just kind of out of sorts. You know what I mean, Seth? I do, I do. And yes, you are correct. I feel, and I don't think that I have enough of a sense of last year or the year before to be sure of this but I mean it feels 
vaguely reminiscent that that to have that 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 sense of yeah in between sort of i'm neither as as a as an old high school teacher used to say to me i'm neither here nor there um in this week it feels like i am working because i am i actually plan to go to go into work to edit at hyperallergic tomorrow but the rest of the week is sort of off but i'm still going to be working i'm still going to be writing in the in the evening hours especially i mean i plan to like see stuff with people during the day maybe go to a museum or two right uh, right uh uh but i i think i think this always happens because it's sort of after christmas and that and christmas always like sort of makes me think of overstuffed people on couches like um <laughs> having i was an i was an overstuffed person on a couch right, just yesterday right. so just kind of just kind of having eaten your fill and kind of not knowing what to do with yourself besides watch organized mm-hmm. sports i.e. football basketball whatever uh Pro- probably not football much longer but <laughs> right. <laughs> right. you mean they were not going to survive is that what you're getting at yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. i mean if if they make it right. they got to they got they got to they have they have some problems they need to address mm. um and then the new year celebration when people seem if for no other reason than the excuse of the calendar shifting over they seem rejuvenated. They seem to have like fine promise mm. again. And I think things like New Year's resolutions have everything to do with this sort of arbitrary demarcation, right? That says, okay, this old stuff is done. Like what happened in 2017, which for some of us was a horror show, um, right. is sort of encapsulated in those 12 months. And somehow the next 12 are going to be different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the thing uh, what you touched on there is one of these so it, the, kind of what gets to the kind of the root of why I thought it might be something interesting to talk about is we are very enamored uh, with ourselves in the West mm. um, with the idea of uh, progress and the future and the newness. Um, yeah, and and but in reality, how much our sense of time as it you know leaving aside kind of the biological markers of time and old age and 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 all the other things that go along with that but but, but leaving that aside for a moment how much the world that we live inside of is actually cyclical the time that we live inside of is cyclical time mm. we we come back to Christmas uh, the same time mm. every year. Mm. We come back to New Year or Kwanzaa or whatever, whatever mm. Ramadan. I mean, mm. Ramadan's not equivalent to, to Christmas, but the, but these these calendrical markers mm. that we use to orient our lives mm. are actually very potent and very present, and not at all. Um, dissimilar to how people would have lived 500 years ago, a thousand years ago. One of the things that we always like to do is sort of, you know, think about how shiny and new and bright and Mm. uh, wise and brilliant we are Mm. in the 21st century. Mm. The city on the hill. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Colin Mather's city on the hill. And the, the, (laughs) but in reality, like how we move through a day, how you move through your life this past year. Right. Mm. So, when you 
when you situate yourself in that life, when you're moving through your life, I know you and I have talked before about how winters can be tough for you. Mm. That long, that the long, the long winters in New York, yeah. coming from coming from Jamaica in particular. Um, but how do you, you know, how do you go about mustering the strength to move through? Though it's by it's by marking a calendar, by what comes back around. And how do you prepare yourself? How do you gird yourself for it? Like, okay, these months are coming. Um, like, we very much live in, in, in cycles still, I believe. In fact, today is kind of the perfect day to talk about this because you make me think of what I just did two hours ago, two hours Please, previous, yeah, which is right. work out. I went to the gym, and mm, now I have mm-hmm. this workout routine which I started actually this year. This year was the mm. first year I started running regularly. Um, mm-hmm. I, ah, okay. Uh, you know, I I fenced for a long time for I think it was fourteen years, seventeen years, something like that. And I stopped a few years ago, and I've had because you can't just like pick up and like go fence like on an impromptu no, like no, Tuesday afternoon. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, that's called that's called murder. <laughs> <laughs> you really you really can't do that. Well, at this at this stage of the game, I'm you know I'm 47. I can't I can't I can't just I can't just do that anymore. Um, right, right. And I've had these conversations with my doctor, and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, you need to do this, that, and the other." And essentially, the the best way to get a car, a great cardiovascular exercise is swimming or running. So I started running. Sure, and, and low impact on the body too. So. Right. So what I just what I find myself constantly doing to make those minutes pass on the treadmill because I like running on the treadmill because I can control. I can pretty much control my environment. It's not like mm. being in the street mm-hmm. and being cold or rain, having to deal with rain or having to deal with a stoplight and la, la, la. So I run sure. on a treadmill. And what I find is that I'm constantly counting to myself. Like I'm telling myself, okay, uh, I just need to get to eight minutes. Okay, I can get to eight. <laughs> I can get to 16. Okay, I can get to 28. It's just 10 minutes more. And then I can get to 36. So I run to 36 minutes. I do like three and a half miles. And I know that I'm I'm good, but it's the constant counting, and it's the constant sort of going back over the ground. I know. I mean, literally, I am on a treadmill in my head, and on a physical treadmill <laughs> right, right, right. in the, in the actual space of the gym. And I, what, what, what occurs to me is that doing that kind of mental exercise of saying, "Okay, I'm just going to get to ten. I just need to get to ten, is that I, I, it's a ritual. It's just a ritual to make it there. I know how much right. it's going to cost. I know how much it's going to take out of me. I know I can do it, but I know it's going to, you know, either way I'm going to get there, but I need to count. I need to count the time somehow. Right. Makes it manageable. Yeah. Wh- yeah. What you just described is uh, is a survival strategy. Mm-hmm. I remember watching, uh, uh, there was some documentary on, uh, uh, I don't know, one of these guys that, uh, you, you may you, you may know what I'm talking about, but the, um, they went climbing on like K2 or or um, some famous mountain, mm-hmm. or maybe it was in the maybe it was in the Andes, mm-hmm. and the the uh, his partner uh, fell, and he thought that his partner was dead, so he had to cut the rope. Oh, and, that movie, yes, yeah, yeah, and the guy like had broken both of his legs yes. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, the guy was in, you know, in the in the movie was recounting the documentary. I guess was recounting 
how he made it back to the camp. And it was, it was some obviously much more awful and terrible version of how you get to 28 minutes on the treadmill, Mm -hmm. which was that, okay, I'm going to get to that rock. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to get to, no, okay. I'm going to get to that stick. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to crawl. I'm going to get to, you know, just sort of setting these like kind of these manageable goals, Mm -hmm. um, or in you know that that help you kind of get ahead. I I wonder. I don't know if I would call that ritual though. Um, but I mean, there is there is something. Um, but there there is something. Th- I I do see why you would use that term though, because I mean, there is something anchoring about it, right? I mean, there's something that you're you're holding on to, uh, some kind of scaffolding that helps you right. deal with with the reality of the situation, whatever that may be. But I think what you what you said was actually more to the point, which is it's a kind of survival technique. And that makes me think, right, each of us is born, not all of us, but a, a good number of us, are born with a kind of yawning chasm in front of us, right? We li- literally have 70 years, 70 or 80 years to yeah. fill, to do something with. And... Yeah. If you're lucky. Right? Yeah, if you're lucky. But a lot of us, you know, the, 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 the numbers have been going up significantly for the past couple of centuries. We have all that time to feel like, I think if each of us was presented at like, let's say 10 years old, I'm just picking at an arbitrary number. You know, you're not yet old enough to really know what you're getting yourself into. Um, but you have, but you're old enough to appreciate something like what time means. Okay, 10. Yeah. And someone takes you aside and says, okay, look, you have about 60 years left. Do you know what you want to do with that time? Be over- you mean just sort of the overwhelming nature exactly. of something like that? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. I mean, it is it is a kind of scaffolding, right? And, there, and so the, that... that that recommends the cyclicity of it, right? It's 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 familiar. It's known. You come back to the same spot over and over again. It's, you get to it's try like, it again. Uh, you get to yeah. you get a kind of do over. You're like, oh, yeah. I screwed that up. I screwed up my yeah. freshman year, but oh, I'll, you know, sophomore year, I'm gonna nail it. Yeah, I, I appreciate the idea of of the necessity of scaffolding for making sense of our time here on the planet. Yeah, and I'm slightly, uh, I want to use the word averse to using the term scaffolding, mm. but it actually does get at a, a kind of meaning that may not be wrong. Um, I don't want to use the word scaffolding. I want to use the word, um, the word is structure? Maybe, but maybe that's the same thing. Uh, but I, I think what I'm getting at is that I think we're just really afraid. I think we really don't know what to do with ourselves when we are faced with the prospect of having 60 or 70 years on this planet to do stuff. And this is precisely why I would argue we have the kind of religiousness that 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 seeps into. Um, the majority of our um, ways of conceiving of ourselves as agents in the world. Like, we can't seem to get past this idea that we might actually just be free. 
that we might actually just have 60 or 70 years and not see it as a set of obligations, but a set, a set of opportunities, right? Like you mm. could just do whatever, like literally you can do whatever you want. But instead of thinking in that way, we think mm, there is a particular God that I owe something to and I need to fulfill these obligations in order for my life to one be valid to two have meaning and three ultimately i mean this is this is the story of the of the judeo-christian god right that to for it to be good because if my life isn't good then i'm going to get punished by this god so there's something there for me i guess that goes beyond sort of scaffolding because scaffolding just sounds kind of Mm -hmm. i don't know benign and sort of um uh, middle of the road I think what I'm talking about is a kind of self-imposed structure that's that's self-imposed because of fear. Okay, so let me let me unpack that in a couple of ways. I I probably wouldn't go with you on the Judeo-Christian aspect of it because structuring time is culturally universal as far as hmm. we know I'm mean, pretty close to I mean I would just I would go, let me just okay. I mean it's always dangerous when you say it's a cultural universal but I'm just going to lay it out there and say I would bet it's a cultural universal structuring time and I'm not going to tell you you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh, Google might though so <laughs> right. or someone else that's like getting their PhD in this might go like right. ah well I found this <laughs> tiny tribe that just wanders aimlessly across right. the days in despair but right. Um, right. so I uh, I I would say it's it's not a Judeo-Christian thing. I, I I'm with you on the fear part of it, mm. um, but I also I I don't want to entirely let go of the inspirational in all of the positive connotations that that can have act of structuring one's world and that mm-hmm. i mean that is what art is right you you work with the medium you structure it um we oftentimes associate uh the artistic mm-hmm. impulse with a kind of uh impetus uh urge for uh expression free expression since you were talking about you know freedom but that there's something uh powerful and positive um, about the inclination to organize one's world that is is can't be divorced from fear. I I I definitely I wouldn't go that. F- I, I would not make that claim at all. I, I, I absolutely believe that's part of it. But mm. um, uh, that there's there's something um. Om- I, I this was the first word that came to mind, but I, I pulled back from it, so I'll just go back to uh, joyful about hmm. about marking and about structuring times of celebration um, and organizing ourselves in a way to make a home. Right. I mean, okay. I, I love this. I love this because that, that now I'm just brimming with questions for you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, what do you make of what typically happens in American culture, and by Amer- I mean, I'm, I'm really I mean U.S. culture, U.S. popular culture, and this mm-hmm. is sort of across the board, across ethnicities, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. that 
the major milestones that we celebrate and we celebrate by spending a lot of money mm-hmm. and a lot of time in figuring out how to do the celebration are high school graduations and weddings and funerals. So people of certain economic means spend a lot of money on these no, things. No, 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 fair enough. But, even I, but I would argue that mm-hmm. people who are even poor relative to their resources okay sure right right. i understand spend a lot of money on graduation in fact okay in fact in fact i i I have a kind of um anecdote to to back this up there's a show right now at the international center of photography downtown Mm -hmm. called something uh what's it called something about wealth i think the culture of wealth or something like that Mm -hmm. and oh i actually i may be confusing this with something else but i think that was in that was the show I think that was a show. There's an image of uh, some high school graduates who have taken a picture of uh, or had someone take their picture outside the limousine that the one graduate has rented for the night, mm-hmm. um, being, you know, the parents are on the sidewalk seeing them off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and it is as you as you say it is that moment of elation that moment of joyfulness. Mm-hmm. But the 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 caption reads that this student spent two years saving up the six hundred dollars mm-hmm. to rent that limousine for the night. Mm-hmm. Two years mm-hmm. for one night. And what mm-hmm. I came away from that was thinking, thinking oh, I came away from that thinking that's a lot of pressure to put on one night. Okay, so uh, so I have uh, like I had three thoughts uh, about that uh, great example. Uh, one, it makes me think of uh, Mesoamerican mask traditions that still persist in Mexico, mm. in which small villages will uh, spend years saving and preparing for these. Uh, ritual celebrations of mask culture. I mean, so Mm -hmm. if you were to put it in terms of GDP, like 90% of this, of the village's GDP goes to preparing for these mask festivals. Um, And then, um, or potlatch ceremonies, right? So part of this demonstration of in, 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 um, in chiefdoms and, and tribes and stuff like that, they'll, you know, they, they demonstrate their, um, status by seeing who can um, uh, gift the most wealth to their cousins or their other tribe members. And this is a way for tribes to cohere. You get these potlatches together. There's all this excess. I know there's an argument. It's, I don't I don't recall it well enough in this context. I'd have to think about it a little bit uh, in which I know there's a historian that makes the argument that essentially medieval feasts helped le- helped lead to uh, European economic prosperity because it creates this. Uh, it's kind of the 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 locus of the festival celebration in which various aspects of society come into contact with one another. Mm. So the very gesture of excess. Mm-hmm as a even as a performance leads to um clearly there's plenty of negative associations that i have no problem and and this is one of the things that i i would want to i would want to contextualize what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i hear 
all of the arguments and am sympathetic to all of the arguments that are suspicious to leveraging one's difficult economically disadvantaged position to demonstrate a kind of wealth that you don't have. I understand that that's difficult and problematic and and unwise potentially and, and unwise and potentially right. oppressive. Right. But I mean you can just trip over those arguments if you you know as an undergraduate Right. I mean, given the number of Americans that are going to college and stuff like that, I understand that the conversation we're having may not be sort of CNN level. You know, we may be stepping above that, but we're not stepping above something that you wouldn't hear in a typical undergraduate seminar. So you the the country is inundated with those arguments. I get it. They're relevant. They're important. But that's not the only thing that's going on in these right. in the I mean, think about probably the pride of of that kid that saved up six hundred dollars for two I years. Know. I mean I agree. the focus, the discipline, yeah. the yeah. the rigor. Yeah. And and what is that focus and discipline and rigor going to bring to other, you know, uh, enterprises yeah 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 I, but but that's but that's just the thing I think and 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 this is an interesting maybe maybe we need to call it a tangent I'm not sure but I, I, I think there is a we've gone into another territory by talking about these kinds of rituals that mark the passage of time especially when they're so celebratory and, when, and especially when they cost so much to the celebrants, I think then there's something else going on there. It's not about mm-hmm. just marking time. It's mm-hmm. about a kind of very human will to, 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 to say something like, we are here and mm-hmm. we are meaningful to each mm-hmm, other. Mm-hmm. And we are going to mark that meaningfulness in ways that clearly cost us something because they mm-hmm. are so meaningful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. These moments are so meaningful to us. So there, I actually think, this is why I want to call it a tangent, I actually think that that's not uh, coextensive with this kind of fear that I started off this, um, this part of the conversation uh, uh, on. I don't think it's really about fear. I think maybe in this in the in the in the instances that we've now stumbled upon um it's it's not about it's not about just the passage of time actually i think i think it's actually more like the passage of time just happens to coincide with moments or give us excuse for moments where we can celebrate each other uh yeah absolutely yeah i completely agree with that i i think that you know the what it reminds me of is that there's there's not one registration of the human experience which I often feel that intellectuals pick up on, which is this aspect of fear, right? I think mm. that we we tend to be drawn to it as a motivating factor for a variety of reasons that we can get into uh, at another time. But mm. you know what it what it tipped what it what it what drew us in this direction was the idea of we started with these inauspicious unlucky days mm-hmm. well what what do we experience in the time from 
Christmas to New Year. So on one end, you know, you had the, the great story of the of this kid that is like, you know, working for two years, like he's driven, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. got a goal, he's moving towards mm-hmm. something like there is purpose when he looks out at the world, he sees, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, he picks up details that are going to allow him to, you know, get to this point of this limousine, this night, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the other side of that? The other side of that are no markers. Is this and and I was, was talking to my wife about this that the the issue of like how interminably long mm-hmm. the time between December twenty fifth and January first feels. Mm-hmm. It just every day I wake up and feel like, oh my God, I didn't get this done. I didn't get that done. And what it was, was three days ago. I have, I've, I've literally lost a clear sense of where I am. I have no map. We're off the map between the 25th and the first. We're off the map. Right. And And, and the one, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. You please, please. Well, that's the thing is that what, those moments of celebration do for us is that they give us a map right like they give us yes like clear markers for things to accomplish so you know you've done something right when you've graduated from high school i mean i would suspect especially given the sort of economic circumstances of the majority of people in this country that that the high school celebration is happens more often and with more pomp and circumstance than even a college uh, graduation does. Um, I suspect. I don't know, uh, but I, I I I buy that. I, that makes yeah. I I would I would I go with that conjecture. Right. So high school graduation, weddings, huge deal, right? So you've accomplished something when you've actually found a mate, mm-hmm. decided to have a family together, mm-hmm, and, and that mm-hmm. there's something like deeply, deeply human about celebrating. Uh, union. I mm-hmm. mean, and and I would actually say even um, for us who are more, um, I want to say, well, what's what's the, what's the, what's the way to say this? Who are more um, open to all the permutations of love in the human family? That even uh, among queer couples, like mm-hmm. that, even that celebration, that union, is a moment of of great joy and celebration for us because you found someone. Mm-hmm. with whom you can make a life that is ultimately, right? I mean, this is the premise, ultimately better than being alone, mm-hmm. right? And then the funeral, right? Where we get to see off the person, where we get to get get together and say, and remember that that life was meaningful to us. I think all of these moments are uh, in, in some ways like exactly the opposite of this past week where we feel lost, where we feel unmoored. I feel like those moments, those rituals, those events are, are, have been developed over time in order to actually give us a sense of where we are in, t- in space. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, you know, this, uh, I mean, the, the direction of you know, sort of bringing in the, uh, the push for, um, sort of the recognition of of gay marriage as a viable cultural institution to be recognized um there was a there's a piece in uh harper's this past uh month about Mm -hmm. uh, this uh 
uh, I'll I'll actually I'll look it up when 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 you jump in uh, mm. to just to reference the writer. But his argument was essentially that something is missing from queer culture because of its mainlining, because of its mainstreaming, mm. and that you know he's mm. clearly he's some kind of academic. He teaches, and uh, he um, he teaches writing. I remember that, and he uh, talks about like assigning these kind of gritty. Uh, memoirs and of confessional like in one of the ones he assigns is about kind of how rough and difficult and wild and exciting and titillating um, gay sex was in the 80s and 90s because it was illegal right. and because I, I guess more 70s and 80s right. Uh, you know right, right as right. the ramp up to to the AIDS epidemic um, right. and he's lamenting this loss and I really I, I, I don't want to boil down I, I don't want to diminish entirely. I do a little bit because I wouldn't bring it up if I didn't, but I don't right. entirely want to diminish um, that intellectual fetish for the dancing star, as Nietzsche called it, mm. right? I mean, sort of the mm. wildness that you don't want to lose. Right. But right. There's, I mean, a re- right. there's a reason intellectuals want to fetishize that it's because we are so damn regimented because we we achieved so well in school we know how to dot all of our i's we're really good at our commas we know how to like when should you use whom to whom are you that's that's right so (laughs) because because that is our inclination we tend to fetishize you know what? For most, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna suggest. I mean, you have more uh, friends in the gay community than I do. I'm mm. I'm gonna bet if you survey them, mm-hmm. th- there isn't a whole lot of romantic romanticizing the fact that your ass might get thrown in jail and you might lose your job because you're outed as gay and you want to be with the person you love. Like that kind of fetishizing of being a fugitive, I find obtuse. I just I find it absolutely just completely insular and and there are lots of ways if you want to be if you want to be an outsider in society mm-hmm. uh, great there are things there are there are mm-hmm. positive existentially stimulating aspects of that but yeah. to prescribe that for a society is the height of arrogance yeah, and I, 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 I can't help but agree with that. I do think that um, one of the things that, and I don't need, I don't know Nietzsche very well at all. I think I've maybe read one book, um, uh, uh, and I think that was during the course of my, my PhD at Birkbeck. Um, but one of the things that he said, or wrote rather, stuck with me, which was this lament around human beings becoming a kind of, what he, in his words, calculable animal. The animal that could be counted on to behave in a particular way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the way he wrote that book, and I don't remember which one it is. I wanna say it was Thus Spoke Zarathustra, but I'm I'm really not sure. Uh, the The way he wrote his critique, Essentially, he was lamenting the fact that we had stopped being wild, that we had mm. become calculable. And I want to say that maybe the calculation, and this is actually a good place to go with this, I think, 
maybe the calculation that we that we develop over time right the, the, the and the rituals that we do to mark um, uh, our, our meaningfulness to each other are of a piece they're up they're, they're all together right like you mm. can't separate one from the other like the fact that we feel weird in this last week of the year where mm -hmm. we're sort of neither here nor there has everything to do with being calculable has mm. everything to do with having developed particular rituals and events mm. to make sense of each other to each other mm -hmm. i actually don't have a problem with us being calculable i actually think no me either I, I actually think that that's good. That means that we're operating on principle, for yeah. Christ's sake. And do you know what that means? It means we can drive down the freeway at 80 yes. miles per hour in right. in tin cans and not right. murder each Die. other by the millions. Right, yeah. exactly. There's a great there's a great um, uh, uh, anecdote from um, a story from um, one of these race car drivers. I forget. The name of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's the one of those ones that was um, in the last five years was a was a was a big hit. I want to say it starred the guy who went on to like do the Thor films. It's um, that guy, Helmsford? Chris, Chris Chris Henson. Yeah. Chris Henson is it? Uh, uh, Isn't it Henson? Helmsford? Uh, whatever. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> but whatever. It's, he played a race car driver. Um, and he had this rivalry going on with this other race car driver. Um, um, and this is Formula uh, Formula One. Did someone make you um, see this movie? <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. That's so funny. It made me laugh weird. <laughs> um, no. Actually, I didn't see the film, Travis. I actually saw just a trailer, but I remember it so well because... That's like seeing the I, film these days, so it's fine. It's, right, I doubt right. There's a, but I remember it so well because I actually looked up the story of these guys afterwards because the trailer was really compelling. And what uh -huh. had happened was... These guys had a rivalry over the course of, I think, I think several years. Uh -huh. And one got into a fiery crash, and it burned over half of his body. And it basically, he ended up looking like a kind of mummy. Okay. Right? Like, I mean, uh -huh. he had the third-degree burns that completely changed the, the, the texture and, and sort of organization of his skin, especially his face. So, you know, it, it, it becomes a kind, the kind of horror show that... Um, uh, general like generally audiences like to 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 see um anyway i read up on these guys and chris hemsworth in the movie's rush apparently so. okay thank you thank you um what i loved about what the other race car driver said about him was that they could go around a track with inches separating them, mm -hmm. going at a, over 100 miles an hour. Sure. With inches separating their wheels. And he said he tr he knew the guy was such a good driver that they could do that. Yeah. That they could do that down a, down right. a stretch of, of, right. of, of artificially made track. That's amazing. And, and, and that's the thing. I that, agree. That, it's that, a wonder. That, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good thing about us being calculable, that I can trust mm, you. Absolutely. That we can play this game together where we compete mm. at the quote-unquote, you know, highest level. I at least always say that. We're competing at the highest level. But these guys are... It's kind of true, though. I mean, like, when you... I mean, these guys are going over 100 miles an hour. Um, and if one of them screws up, they will die. They could die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. it's, it's something. It's a wonder. It's something yeah. to be marveled at. 
Yeah. So I'm I, I, I'm I'm actually uh, for being calculable in, in many respects, and I actually think that we fetishize, as you pointed out, especially with the story of queer men and women. Um, and By the way, it was Fenton about. Johnson in the article is the future of queer, and it's out in uh, January 2018 in Harper's. Okay, cool. Great. Um, I think that you're right in that we fetishize that kind of wild freedom way too much. It, there's something kind of immature about it. Uh, yeah, I think, and I think it's particular to to honestly intellectuals. I, I, and again, of course, I, it's like I had said earlier with you know the issues of of needing to recognize the sacrifice that is being made by marginalized mm. peoples to participate mm. in some of these rituals. So I mm. I want to I want to put that out there. I also want to acknowledge that I absolutely recognize that societies can become too tightly wound and that's and that uh, uh, subcultures can be language can be policed too tightly Mm -hmm. behavior can become policed too tightly that we can um, our chastity belts become too tight Mm -hmm. and so I absolutely want to make room for like Gary Snyder and Allen Ginsberg's Howl mm. and Walt Whitman's mm. Barbaric Yop. I, I don't mm-hmm. ever, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in Thoreau's like nutty trek into the woods, you know. So And I, by the same token, I want to make room for Foxy Brown being known as, you know, being raw as sushi and cold as ice. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I want to make space for... Uh, uh, someone like, um, or not someone like, but um, rather the musician, um, what's his name? I think um, of James Brown is another just sort yeah, of, just, just like just, just, imp- unpredictable. Yeah, you cannot control this man. Yeah. Or, or, the, or this moment of beauty in that video with, um, oh, I'm forgetting his name now, but D'Angelo. Mm, D'Angelo, mm-hmm. where he has an entire video of just him naked singing and the camera like, <laughs> slowly pans down his butt. I mean, but there's something really, like, like you can't, like, especially with men, right? Like, we'd expect that to see, we'd expect to see that with a woman singing and, you know. Is D'Angelo the one that has something like, I look good in, look at you, you want to fuck me because I look good in leather or something like that? Is that? No, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. But, but Brown Sugar is. Uh, yeah, Brown yeah, Sugar, yeah. That was the big hit. Yeah. But he does this video, he has this video which came out a few years later. It was just him singing and it's just him naked and the camera like slowly, slowly pans down. To the uh, um, starting from the, so the, the, his head uh, all the way down to his waist, and there's something really sensual and lovely and beautiful. Mm. But also, like I can I can totally see, you know, certain kind of households like you know their children are watching the video and they're like, oh no, you can't see. Oh God, <laughs> right, 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 right. What's going on? The human body, run! Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right. exactly, exactly. Like when his skin's so Janet, dark. Right. <laughs> 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 it's gonna get you. <laughs> Excuse me. It's that moment, right when when Janet Jackson's um, um, nipple shield or whatever gets torn mm. off by um, Justin Timberlake, J- yeah, right. Yeah. And people lost their freaking. They, they really they did. Yes. Say, yeah, I want to say, oh, really? Like you haven't seen 
a black woman's breast. Like that is right. what's gonna send you screaming into the wilderness in right. the middle of the night, right? Right, right. Like honestly, people, honestly. Like yeah. what, what and and that actually does now that we're on it. That actually does say a lot more about the fear of the black body than it does about anything else. I, so I don't. I don't. I mean, I. Um, I uh, actually, fear of the female. female yeah, yeah, yeah. I would go with female body in that one. I, yeah. I do. I, yeah, yeah. There's clearly a fear of the black body in America. I mean, that's yeah. clearly deeply embedded in the yeah. psyche after. Yeah. 300 years of, of reinforcement and this is something we definitely need to talk about in the in the future but yeah, um, yeah, we, yeah, but I read that one more as fear of the female body I mean I, th- I think yeah. you could put a white breast there and I think you have the same kind yeah, of just same like freak out. Yeah, gnashing yeah, of teeth and, yeah. and clawing of eyes and, and yeah, whatnot yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but, to, but to get back to the, 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 the day thing and feeling lost yeah. I think that I mean, what we come around to is realizing that there's this tension, right? There's this, there's this sort of gravitational pull towards being, um, in some ways, in some ways, what's the word? Like, um, responsible for each other, hmm. or uh, r- recognizable to each other through our rituals of dividing up time. Mm. And it's a way for us, and that is that is to say, it is a way for us. These rituals are ways for us to make sense to each other, and to make sense of our lives by making sense mm. to each other. And so, in these moments when we don't have that, as you said, scaffolding, and maybe that is actually really the right word, um, we feel more lost than we do in other moments because there's maybe there's a kind of like psychic something like the psychic rug has been pulled out from under us this in, in mm. these sort of lost days right because we don't have that sense that we're going to be calculable because we could like honest like we could kind of do anything like like and and here's and here's a scary thing i read and i must have been like 23 when this happened um, I was reading through a bunch of quotations. I want to actually say it's something to do with Poet's House. Um, mm-hmm. Something like poetry, something like that. One, uh, there was a thing that an author wrote, and I don't remember the author's name, but he said in a character's voice, he said, the only thing you have to do is die. And that yeah. shook me. Because, I mean, if you, I mean, if you do take that on board, that literally the only thing you have to do is die. You could do anything. I mean, we mean, I know you, I mean, we know each other really well. So I, mm-hmm. uh, the only reason I want to qualify that is I, you, of course, don't believe that. You, of course, we, there are, are right. there are no. countless things we can't do. Right. Um, but I know you what can't I, fly. Right. yeah, right. yeah. So I'm yeah, I'm right. contextualizing that for the people that might be listening, the two or three people yeah. out there that might be listening to us. So that, mm-hmm. that 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 in in this context, what we're talking about is that you know, given the physical, social, biological, psychological constraints that every person uh, labors under. Uh, right. You can choose to do anything within those 
parameters that that you right. that you want to choose to do and that that is right. of course yeah i mean the, the very famous existentialist yeah, it's terrifying freedom is terrifying and yes. uh and of course that it is in many ways um and you can choose to do anything but that it reminded me of uh this discussion that that we had around this idea of freedom this is in a graduate seminar i had we're reading like uh Kant's like prolegomenon piece or something like that one of his mm-hmm. less read texts although i'm sure there's lots of people that have read it um and kind of slogging through it in in my awful german but um and uh the uh one of the the participants mentioned this thing about well you know the only thing that that restrains my freedom is that i don't want to be socially sanctioned by other people um mm. you know he like gave this gesture of like the only thing that keeps me from like you know walking into a crowd and spinning my arms around and he has his arm his you know kind of like spindly graduate student arms ha- out at his side <laughs> like you know like the only thing that keeps me from like you know knocking all these people around and I was like well the thing that keeps you from knocking all these people around is that you know you're like five six and there's people that would you know but it, it, so anyway the right. it, but he I, I took his point right um and and I the thing is I don't that's not actually freedom though I I, I agree I, uh, freedom I is yeah. is a affirmative choice to limit that's what freedom is like Mm. otherwise your appetites would be your freedom and they are of course not if you are a slave people that are slaves to their appetites tend to be unhealthy obese incapable of you know moving about their day mentally uh, torporous, right? They just—that's not freedom. Freedom is the ability to demarcate what you will and won't do, and right. and 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 that assertion of markers, right? In these mm-hmm. days in between, mm-hmm. is actually to not be free. I I feel. I, I mean, there is the sense of liberation that you mentioned, you know, that, mm-hmm. that it, it, uh, in our previous conversation, we were talking about like how you can kind of do whatever you want mm-hmm. in those moments. But but I don't feel the sense of power in my life mm-hmm. in these intervening days. I feel buffeted by time. Mm. Um, I, I feel, you know, like Walter Benjamin's the angel of history, right? So mm. he's, you know, this image, right, of the angel of history mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm, sort of his, mm-hmm. his eyes are, are watching the pile of history, the ruin of history, mm-hmm. like rise up in front of him or her, mm. I suppose, um, and, and incapable of acting in the world. That's what this period of time feels like to me. And that is precisely to me not not an assertion of my freedom. It's an assertion of my helplessness before the chasm that is the enormity of the world. Well, I, I want to sort of back away from this sort of, and, and this is not, well, what's the word I want to use? I don't want to use the word grandiosity but um, um, there's a certain way that that image is really sort of all-encompassing really mm. comprehensive and I want to I want to dial it back to this small story of what it was like 
when I was working at retail mm-hmm. um, when I was living in, in California. And I was working at the Beverly Center Mall mm-hmm. with Hugo Boss. Mm-hmm. And there was those two years uh, out of my life that I'll never get back. I remember when you worked there. <laughs> and I remember how the days would yawn in front of me, especially when it was slow in the store. And literally, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, there would be days when, <clears throat> for whatever reason, economic downturn, boredom, I don't know. We would have maybe six people walk into the store mm-hmm. throughout the whole day. And we weren't allowed to sit. So we just stand and make conversation with each other. And we weren't supposed mm-hmm. to lean on the on the vitrines or on the display cases. Uh, we just had to find a way to make that time go. And I remember... It's like you're an NFL did. player or something. <laughs> <laughs> no celebrations. Uh, oh, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. right, right Do right, not right. reveal your human joy. Right, ever. Yeah. Um, but those days would yawn. Those days would just stretch out mm. forever. And mm-hmm, I remember mm-hmm. thinking, I don't know quite how I'm going to make it through this. Like, And that really felt like a kind of conscription. It felt mm. like, it really did feel like the opposite of freedom. It felt like mm. I was in jail. And it was a job that, you know, clearly I wanted. I did really well at. Mm-hmm. I earned money at. Um, or earn money from, but it hurt. It hurt in a way that, like, it doesn't go away. I I talk about it now, and I remember those days, and it still kind of hurts. Those were really long Mm. days, and I Mm. felt that my life force was literally going, eddying down a drain because I was just standing there all day waiting for someone to come in to spend money. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, in in the sort of like, you know, existentialist bag of tricks or whatever, I'm not sure if we would call that bad faith or what the it's to, to sort of discuss the what you were struggling with or dealing with in, in that moment, because you actually did have the choice, though. Right. I mean, there. I could have walked away. Uh, you, yeah. I mean, I and you did. Why would you be? You could have. You did walk away. It's when I you did. left. You went to London. You did your PhD. I mean, right. you made. You had enough. That was at a certain point. You were just. You were done. I remember that whole decision-making mm. process, and, and mm. that I will not go into because no one else will care. But, um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I remember. I mean, that you you chose to leave that. Right. I, uh, and I don't want to get too. I, I understand your point. I, I, it's it's absolutely right, and I certainly was. I definitely uh, was bellowing pretty loudly about the yawning chasm of life, but. Uh, I do think there is a slight difference between um, that choice that you had uh, and uh, the choice that we do not have to be ultimately exposed to the cruelty of time. And, and that, that space between Christmas and New Year in... A culture in which we are embedded in, which we can't reshuffle the calendar, right? I mean, so that it's a social fact. Now, we may experience that social fact differently. Um, you know, uh, perhaps uh, devout Muslims or Orthodox uh, 
uh, Catholics, uh, you know, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, maybe they don't experience the time between Christmas and New Year the same way that you and I are mm. discussing. I'm very open to that fact. I'm mm. very open to the fact that, you know, like a workaholic salesman doesn't even see the holiday in that same way. So, I, I, that's right. I, yeah, I'm, we, I'm, d- we don't, we didn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not universal. I don't, I don't mean to universalize <laughs> it. I mean to say that there is this experience of time that you and I agree is something we felt mm. and that and that that is something that all human beings can be exposed to when they are outside of a temporal map right mm. sort of a predictable uh, predictable is the wrong word a reliable dependable temporal map for marking as you mentioned that long stock of days between you know when you come to some kind of self-consciousness around 10 11 12 years old and when when you're done when either your mind leaves you or your body quits or uh or whatever the case may be i mean that is i mean it's the ultimate failure Right. I mean, in some sense, it's the it's the ultimate failure. It's the thing that no Disney movie can help us escape from. It's the exactly. thing that no project, no grand aqueduct or, you know, <laughs> mission to the stars will mm. ever get us around. That's right. Ultimately, no. it doesn't. We, we don't make it. No, no act of Congress. No, 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 no. no. No edict of a king. It's just we we end up dying, and um, I do think maybe that's a good place to end this conversation, or at least this part of it, because I think we've kind of come to the point where um, sort of what we what we agreed on earlier, which is that there is something about. There's something about the the ritual and the recognition of each other in that ritual that is a kind of stay against death, mm. right? Like we are saying to each other. If we're not saying anything else during prom and during weddings and during fu- funerals, we're saying to each other we are alive. Yeah. And we see each other alive. Yeah, and the, the last thing I'll, I'll end with is, you know, we had talked about this. I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to start in those that no man's land of days between Christmas and New Year's why I wanted to start our inaugural podcast with the American age because of the contingency of failure failure what Stuart Hall the cultural theorist said about Mm. the the very likely outcome of any new endeavor is failure I mean it's Mm. it's you know we're starting this this new project uh, the American age and um, and it has all these initiatives and these things that you know we've kind of talked about and um, are kind of inchoate and coming into being and areas we want to go into. But you know the very likely outcome for all of this work is uh, is going to be that uh, it doesn't work uh, because uh, most things don't. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you don't try. That doesn't mean you don't make the effort. To quote Robert Creeley, <clears throat> the poet, the American poet. Um, God bless him then if such things can. That risk is all there is. Uh, well said. Robert Creeley. 
um, uh, all right. Well, it's good talking to you, Seth. Uh, and good I'll, talking uh, to you, Travis. I'll uh, we'll pick up next week. Sounds good. Okay, take care.